Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news show from BIV Newspaper and BIV.com. And I'm BIV reporter Tyler Orton. And on Wednesday, Governor General Julie Payette, she delivered the throne speech outlining the next session of Parliament's goals. It included a number of initiatives focused on Canada's innovation economy as the country continues to navigate this pandemic. And with us today to talk about the state of innovation here in Canada, it is Ben Bergen. He's executive director of the Canadian Council of Innovators. Ben, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Tyler, thanks so much for having me. So there were some notable announcements here. Uh, just off the top of my head, I, I recall the Governor General talking about having the corporate tax for clean tech firms, other ambitions going forwards. Is the government on the right path? What's your initial take on what was outlined in the uh, throne speech? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And look, I think, you know, you actually said it correctly. It's an outline, right? And it really will be the coloring in that will ultimately determine whether or not this will actually prove and create the outcomes that we want. And sort of before I maybe jump into it, let's just talk about why, why it's important that we really figure out how to create an innovation strategy in this country that will lead to prosperity. So obviously being hammered with the economic crisis that COVID has produced, we know that we're going to be you know, billions of dollars uh, in the red. And so it's not just important that we build back an economy you know, that, that restores the same jobs, but that we really figure out a way to create a prosperity strategy that will pay for obviously the crisis, but also social programs that we as Canadian care about. So think about you know healthcare, education, roads, those types of things. And to give you sort of an illustrative example of how much the economy has changed, in 1975, 17% of the intangible economy was what made up the S&P 500. As we fast forward to 2015, you know, 87, 87% uh, of the intangible economy is what makes up the S&P 500. So think of, you know, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, those companies. So real wealth creation is going to be in the intangible. And that's the innovation economy. So as we will build back, we've got to really figure out how do we actually create successful technology companies that can compete and go global and actually build capacity. And I think what we see in this document or with, from the speech from the throne is some elements that can definitely help that, but it will really be the execution that's important. So, you know, at the Council of Canadian Innovators, I work with 125 scaling technology companies. These are the companies that really are adding, you know, tens of thousands of people each year to their ranks. And these are really good paying jobs. And if the government wants to really, you know, figure out how to get out of this, you know, crisis that we're facing from an economic perspective, these are the companies that will sort of lead the charge. So if we break down the government's announcement, we can kind of look at it in sort of three key buckets, talent, capital, and let's call it, you know, customers or, you know, government purchasing uh, through, through procurement. And so when we look at, let's say, the talent framework that they, that they uh, Governor General outlined, you know, we look at two pieces that are, are potentially helpful there. One is uh, a continuation of the government's policy around attracting global talent. Um, that's been a huge win for Canada. Um, you know, CCI um, helped write the GSS of the Global Skills Strategy um, a number of years ago, and that's brought close to 40,000 highly skilled workers to Canada. The fact that the government is committed to continuing that uh, is really, really positive. <clears throat> the one wrinkle I would say in all of this is that program has actually slowed during COVID. So how do we make right. sure that it's able to return and be robust? You know, we're potentially gonna have another year, year and a half, two years 
of this state where it's going to be you know a challenge um so government has to figure out how to make that work so there's one element if we want just to uh, jump in do you think that there is going to be pent-up demand for getting that top talent back into the country once there's a widely distributed vaccine where we're going to at least have some new normal going forward after all this is behind us very very much so and and look the demand actually hasn't stopped Right. So, you know, we work with firms that are still trying to bring in, you know, one or two really highly skilled uh, workers, whether they be C-suite. So think of a, you know, a CFO or a CTO from, you know, another jurisdiction that can help add jet fuel to those companies. So the race for talent is still going on, even though, you know, COVID uh, is, is happening. Um, so we've actually seen we haven't really seen a decrease in that demand from 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 the ecosystem. Interesting. I, I think just to pull on maybe, you know, two more pieces um, to look at is on the access to capital side. So. You know, government has committed to a wage subsidy that will last until, you know, 2020, the summer of 2021. Um, and that's positive. Um, but as we saw in the government's first iteration of that wage subsidy, technology companies actually couldn't access that funding. So what we'll be really looking for is, you know, what is the criteria for tech firms to be able to access wage subsidies? Are they able to actually access those dollars or will it shut them out and really favor um, traditional uh uh, traditional industries, which are you know obviously important and need to be supported, but are we <clears throat> are we really pivoting and kind of moving forward? <clears throat> the next area- relief, though, to hear that the government is committing that uh, for the wage subsidy program through to next summer. Look I, again, I think it's 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 one of those things where it's in the details, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> you know the way that technology companies often you know report things like revenue or sales is a bit different than the intangible, right? It's it's not like a hotel where you know percentage of bookings or, or that type of thing that, that really sort of matters. So again, this is, I think the document as an overall is, is, is aspirational in some of its areas, but it's how it actually is implemented that matters. And, and probably the most um, uh, highlighted example I'll give you is really around sort of government purchasing. So, you know, government, uh, the government really talked about how, you know, we were able to buy and, and procure PPE domestically, right? And we, I think this has really sort of shown the caveat and the challenge um, that we're facing as a country in needing to be able to produce our own capacity. Um, and, and the um, governor general made remarks that, that outlined, you know, a need to update our government um, IT services, looking at, uh, you know, clean tech to make sure that we're, you know, meeting our, our, our um, global commitments. But how that solution is actually procured is ultimately what will create uh, wealth and prosperity. And, and to sort of dive a little deeper into that, what I mean is, you know, if the government wants to buy an IT solution from, let's say, a, you know, a Microsoft or an IBM, you know, overwhelmingly that goes to support that firm and that, uh, that sort of global giant. But really looking at procurement that is actually buying from domestic innovators is how you create a purchase order. It's how you create wealth. It's how you create opportunity. And one of the really big challenges that a lot of, uh, you know, smaller Canadian tech firms face is that they really struggle to actually be on that end of, of the procurement side. So figuring out how we can actually buy domestic, obviously it needs to be as good and as, you know, as strong, but figuring out how we can build those relationships where domestic innovators are actually the ones creating the solutions to the challenges that the government is putting forward will help really support and create a uh, innovation economy. It's how Israel does it. It's how South Korea does it. It's how the Nordic countries do it. And really we've got to get ourselves in that game. Hasn't it always been an issue? I, I talked to so many tech companies and they're like, well, the Canadian government thinks if it comes from Canada, it might not be that good. Let's just go with some of the incumbent companies. Nobody's going to get fired if we go with a Microsoft or an SAP or something like that. 
Look, I think that that is a um, kind of traditional language that sort of uh, definitely kind of bubbles around that. But I think the crisis has actually done two things, right? One, it has indicated that uh, on some of these um, procurement solutions that we have to have our own internal national capacity. And I think uh, PPE is, is the best example of that, right? I mean, there was that moment where the president of the United States was potentially threatening the release of millions of masks that we had purchased. And that really should be a wake up call that this actually permeates not just health, uh, but other areas as well. Think of cybersecurity. We need our own national capacity to protect not only businesses, um, but governments and also citizens um, with that with that type of capability, right? So these things actually begin to pull at uh, things around national security. Um, they begin to pull at things around like democracy, um, you know, personal freedoms and some of these elements. But the other area is also the economic. So you're able to create sort of a multiplying effect of good things, right? Positive, you know, good job, good paying jobs, but then also begin to actually secure other areas where we're potentially, you know, vulnerable and weak. What do you think is kind of the state of say early stage companies in the innovation co uh, economy right now versus some of those more anchor companies? I, I just, I wonder if a lot of these startups are quite concerned about the prospects of hiring, the prospects of raising capital, What's your take right now? Maybe what can we do to ensure that the economy, the innovation economy is still going to be vibrant as we navigate throughout the pandemic? Yeah, so great question. You know, at the council, we predominantly deal with scale-ups, so less on the, the, the startup side. But that being said, you know, at the council, we've really tried to be sort of a galvanizing force across the ecosystem. So I've heard from many startups. And, you know, the, the, the real kind of concern that we're hearing, I think, is a number of the pieces that you've just highlighted. So I might answer, be answering, you know, a bit of your, your question with, with sort of how you phrase it. And it really is around some of the access to capital side, right? You know, um, startups uh, often are sort of pre-revenue um, and they're a good idea. And there are a couple of people kind of thinking about it. Um, and where they're struggling is on the capital side. So when we look at something like the wage subsidy, um, how it was traditionally orientated, they weren't able to access that. So, you know, how can the government come up with access to capital means that will allow those companies to continue on um, and continue working? So that's really, um, you know, where we'll want to see some of the details in the wage subsidy piece. The government, um, I believe it was in April or maybe late March. Sorry, timelines are a little bit crazy with obviously COVID um, created. Uh, Time has no meaning anymore. Yes, I, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my coworkers said it still feels like March, um, yes. <laughs> but is is around um, uh, around uh, the IAP program, uh, which was delivered through um, uh, through NRC. Um, and then also um, the uh, regional uh, diversification hubs also got some money that that was allocated. That was about a billion dollars. I think it was you know three hundred and thirty something million for sort of the IAP program, and then around six hundred that was delivered through the the economic development hubs. And predominantly, that money went to scaling technology companies into startups, right? Companies that were really struggling on that capital side. So I think making sure that we can shore that up uh, will be critical. Um, in order for for those uh, smaller companies um, or startups to, to be able to, to continue to, to, to move on for the next sort of, you know, six to 12, uh, 18 months. Do you get the sense that there is at least broad recognition about the role to play of the knowledge economy moving forward, you know, uh, amidst this pandemic from the government, that they are willing to sit down, consider some out of the box things with regards to supporting industry that they had not considered maybe just, you know, two, three years ago? 
Yeah, look, I think that there is an awakening that has happened in Ottawa around the difference between domestic and foreign technology companies. Um, and I think that seeing the comments around taxing the global giants uh, is language that articulates that. Um, and to go a little bit further into that, you know, what I mean is, you know, the government two, three years ago was very concerned about getting photo ops with, you know, Facebook and Google and Sidewalk Labs and all of those types of uh, organizations. And, you know, very much viewed as sort of the darlings uh, of the ecosystem. And I think, you know, that's changed uh, over the last uh, number of years. And, and there's now, a, you know, a real consideration to tax them accordingly to create a more level playing field. You know, Canadian firms are taxed, um, but, but a lot of those uh, foreign firms are not taxed in the same sort of rate. So I think that that is actually quite a, um, quite a positive policy shift because it creates a level playing field for our own domestic innovators. And I alluded to this earlier, but if you look at, you know, whether it be Israel or the Nordic countries, Japan, South Korea, it really is about creating an environment where domestic tech companies can scale, grow, become, you know, global players, create billions of dollars of, of revenue, uh, ultimately creating, you know, good jobs and real long-term prosperity um, that we need to figure out. And I think, I think that this crisis may may have really awoken that in a way um, that that we hadn't really sort of noticed before. Um, so I think I think that's maybe sort of the silver lining in it from from the uh, innovation ecosystem. Oftentimes, as a technology reporter for the newspaper, people ask me, "Well, what is one of Canada's you know great strengths here?" I often go to the the talent acquisition aspect of it, the ability to bring in people from all over the world, and just the diversity within Canada and how representative that is. I still think there's a long way to go in many cases, but what do you think it is with regards to Canada's strengths? Why should the government be so invested in moving forward with our tech sector, our innovation sector? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, two pieces there. I think, you know, one is um, all companies in the future will be technology companies. Uh, so if we don't figure out how to create successful technology companies, we're not playing to the future. Um, and, you know, we're in this inflection point where economies are shifting. Um, wealth uh, generation is shifting. It's moving away from things like oil and gas and natural resources and it's being uh, centered around really the ownership of an idea, which is IP, um, and the data. And I highlighted that with, um, you know, the comment I made earlier about um, how much the S&P 500 has changed towards being a uh, intangible um, uh, market uh, rather than tangible. Um, and that really highlights it. So, you know, government, the Canadian government has to figure this out if we actually want to be able to have a prosperous country where we're able to pay for social programs that we care about, where we're able to pay for the debt that's been generated from this pandemic. So this is everything um, from an economic perspective. And if we don't figure this out, you know, we could find ourselves in a very serious situation. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the innovation index uh, created by Bloomberg um, last year, Canada actually slipped two positions. Uh, I believe we're now behind Slovenia. No offense to Slovenia, but, um, you know, that's not a good place for us to be in. You know, we should really be in this sort of top 10 um, at sort of a bare minimum. You know, let's let's aim for number one. Let, let's, you know, edge out, you know, South Korea. But, um, you know, that's kind of the state of state of where we're at. So, you know, this is this is this is this is paramount. We do have to figure this out. Um, 
And the, the really exciting thing though that I would say, Tyler, in, in, in how all this weaves together is that we can actually solve a number of the great challenges that are in front of us. We can solve the environmental crisis um, as we pivot through that. We can create equality and equal opportunity around gender and race um, and really help to alleviate those as we, as we create this sort of new economic reality. Um, we can create opportunity for sectors um, that are struggling. So let's think about what's happening in Alberta, right? Massive, massive declines, massive shrinking of the economy. This is a chance to reimagine, to reconstruct, and really build a prosperous Canada that's inclusive. Well, I'll tell you, I'd love to follow up with you in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I, I especially seize on that procurement issue. I think that's mm -hmm. a very important thing that uh, more people need to be aware of. And so I like that you're leading the charge there. But um, Ben, for now, just thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to talk to us and explain what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, the budget um, might be a fun time for us to talk as well. That's uh, that's when we actually see what the what the coloring in looks like, right? This yeah. was just an outline. And then the, the, the coloring in will be what happens with budget. Uh, let's make that happen. I, I'm okay. totally down to follow up. So, All right, it's um, a date. Excellent. <laughs> that's Ben Bergen. He's executive director of the Canadian Council of Innovators. And that's it for our show today. But we'll be back next week with our Women in Business podcast series. Until then, you can go to BIV.com for more stories and more interviews there. For now, I'm Tyler Orton.